Welcome to episode 253 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I'm Steve Garshinsky. I'm stepping in for James this week. Uh, otherwise, as always, we have Ryan Top and Paul Noonan here. How are you guys doing today? I'm great. My kids are sick, but they went to bed. Um, so it's been a real roller coaster of an experience of, of a day. Um, yeah, so, but it's all good now. Everybody's asleep, and I get to talk about baseball. So. Uh, it's ending well. That's all you want from anything. Plus football starts. Plus the Florida State um, LSU game from last night was cuckoo bananas bonkers, which really is the signal that football started again. If you haven't seen it, go watch the end. Uh, the last second will take you about 25 minutes to watch, but it's worth it. <laughs> I think I saw some gifts of it already. So, yeah, it, it looks like it's making the rounds on social. Just insane. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ryan, how you feeling? We got a win today. Yeah, the Brewers won. <laughs> it's, it's a damn miracle at this point so they're four and four since we uh said that they needed to win 10 of 15 (laughs) yeah it's not not, looking good not great but gotta rip off 10 in a row here soon yeah but other things are working in their advantage but we'll talk about that in a minute so uh (laughs) yeah yeah but uh, (laughs) everybody is healthy in this household at the moment so that's good uh yeah it's uh the school year has begun and so we're getting back into that uh whole thing so time to go yeah yeah, we have school starting tomorrow, uh, so we'll we'll see if we can avoid sickness for a little while. Hopefully, yeah, we can. We started two weeks ago. That's why we've got it now. So that's that's what you got before it, it hits you. Great. So I should have a countdown ready for when you it should. starts to get bad. Okay, I look forward to that. So, uh, Ryan, what do you got coming out? You got a new um, minor league extra with uh, James? We did. We actually recorded it this week. We updated our top tens. And what I thought was a very like uh, non-controversial top five ended up being way more controversial than what I was anticipating. His looked very different than mine after Churio, of course, and I was not expecting that to happen. And so uh, that led to a lot of good conversation and back and forth about all that. Uh, he talked. Did, did he say you couldn't put Churio one through five? <laughs> he. Uh, he talked me out of many, many, many things that I had in my rankings, and I think I might have talked him kind of out of one. So I'll consider that a win, considering he's the professional on this, and uh, <laughs> just uh, take uh, take that as my win and move on. Yeah, Paul, we got, what, uh, less than a week till football season starts? Yeah, it kicks off next weekend. First game's on Thursday. Um, we'll be back to our proper cadence. I mean, we kind of already are. We did mini-pod and proper pod last week, but... Um, We'll be doing the, the normal thing to prepare for the Packers-Vikings game in Minnesota upcoming on Sunday. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're back in the swing of things with all pods all, all the time. Um, so. Does Matt send you all a block of cheese like that for the season? Cheese <laughs> the cheese. I, like, he was so proud of his his 40-pound block of cheese that he got at his cheese factory job that he has. And we were all kind of like, that, dude, that, that's that's too much cheese. And then I got it seat belted raw in his car like to drive back home for like six hours. Like, that's too much cheese in a, in a car not with wrapping on it. It made me think Gross. of that Seinfeld line about how uh, disturbed he was that George uh, equated uh, just sitting and eating a large block of cheese with a bachelor paradise. That's I what I firstly thought of. I do love that Matt's legitimate job is as a cheese engineer, which is the perfect job to have on a Packer podcast. You, you can't, you got to give him that. That yeah. is absolutely true. Yeah. He left with 40 pounds and got home with 30. Something like that. So 
and hey, you got some other stuff coming out. Oh, uh, right. This yes. Week, right? Um, so yeah, uh, last week, uh, JR took the week off. Our co-host was Tyler Brooke. Uh, Tyler recently wrote a book with Will Carroll called The Science of Sports, which comes out tomorrow. And uh, I'm interviewed as part of it, as is Justice, as is the Football Outsiders crew, almost in their totality, as is PFF people, as are a lot of former players. So uh, it is sort of an overview of the analytics movement in in football over time, and it's definitely worth checking out. Comes out tomorrow. Tyler is an outstanding writer. He's good on mic, too. Um, but uh, do go check that out. It was really a labor of love for him, and it's cool to have your first book published at uh, t- Tyler's uh, ripe old age of much younger than me. So, uh, <laughs> go, where's go, the, where's the best that. place to find that? Uh, it's on. You can get it on Amazon. I've had it pre-ordered for a while. That'll work. Any book, um, not any bookshop will have it. That's not true. If you've got a good indie bookshop, they will always order stuff for you. Go do that. I'm sure that would be appreciated. But you can get it at the normal book buying online places as well. So that's because of Cubops, right? That's why they talk to you. Uh, yeah, Cubops and and my receiver stat as well. But also just on the sort of difference between um the progress in baseball versus football which i'm doing this right now for a reason um and sort of the challenges that exist in football for um deriving analytics from you know the all the interactions and um all of the the reliance on other things that happen um so yeah cubops and and interrupts but also a, a more high level view on football analytics and how they're a little bit more difficult than a lot of the rest of the world and then you have, what, two mini pods out already this season? Yeah, two out already. And there'll be another one previewing the Vikings in detail this week, too. I was going to say, I didn't, I didn't care for the uh, somewhat positive review of the Bears. Uh, I, I, I rip on the Bears a lot, but they're showing signs of intelligence. And they should be applauded for it when they do. And I do think Justin Fields is good. Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of good analytics backing his pick. Uh, there's a lot of good excuses for him sucking last year. Um, the Bears do quarterbacks no favors, and uh, him specifically, they did no favors to. I think he'll be okay. Well, hopefully they screw it up in the long term, though. Hopefully that's they what, do. Yep, that's they really are, what we need from the Bears. That's what we're still the Bears, do. so that's very possible. So that'll be uh, something we can watch for this season. So, but if you want to hear that, remember you should sign up for Patreon. You can get the mini pods. Uh, you can get the minor league extra. Uh, so check that out at Patreon.com/slash/MKETailgate. Uh, for as little as two bucks a month, you get question pi- priority uh, for the podcast network, uh, including episodes of reporting as eligible, uh, which Paul is recording on Tuesdays. Five bucks a month gets you question priority, plus some exclusives, including the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from Rotowire. So a lot of cool stuff. Uh, get on that. It's always a good, good listen, especially during the football season. You're going to get all the previews. And uh, I know it's made me a better football fan in that regard. So check Aww, it out. Thanks, Steve. I, 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 on, I say that sincerely. Too. <laughs> I am not just like blowing smoke. Cause I'm on the podcast. I, I, I do recommend it. It'll make you a smarter, smarter football fan. And you'll notice he didn't say that about my podcast. So <laughs> like, you know, it's genuine because he didn't say it about me. So, well, we talk all the time. So I don't think you need all of yeah. the, the affirmation in that way. So, um, so anyways, it was an up and down week uh, with the Brewers taking two of three from the Pirates, then promptly going to the desert, dropping three of four to the Diamondbacks. A three and four week generally isn't the end of the world when they're bad teams and there is ground to be made up. It's not what the team needed. The only saving grace is thanks to four weeks from the Phillies and Padres. They only lost half a game against th- 
against the third wild card spot and actually gain ground on the second <laughs> wild card spot, which is ridiculous. But mm-hmm. so after beating Colorado on Monday and with 28 games to play, the Brewers are two games behind the second and third wild card spots. Guys, are the Brewers done? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't write that question. <laughs> I know. I know. So. They're not done, but they put so the answer is this. They probably should be done. But one of the consequences of having the extra wild card is that the teams competing for it aren't necessarily very good. And when that's the case, then they're not done. And as bad as the Brewers have been and as uh inconsistent and whatever, they have the same run differential as the as the Padres. They're both plus thirty. They're not that far away from the Phillies who've been struggling a lot. Um, they don't have a super hard schedule outside of the New York teams and, of course, the Cardinals, who are just dynamite lights out. And uh, so, yeah, they're still in it. Even if they're kind of a 500-ish team, this is not over uh, for, for whatever that's worth. They're still very much alive, and they very well might pull this off. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the National League in general, uh, clearly the Braves are cut above. And if we had that system that we had before 2012, where it was just the single wildcard team, that would be the, I think, best, most uh, fair system that you could have for what the NL is this year, where you have you know, the Dodgers, the Mets, and St. Louis has been so good. I think the, I, last I looked, they were 25-7 and seven since uh, August started. Yep. So they're on just an absolute heater right now. And then... You have Atlanta, who obviously deserves to be in that mix as well, at 84 and 51. Yeah, Atlanta actually has a significantly better run differential than the Mets do. They are debatably a better team. Mm-hmm. They're, so they're awesome. Yeah, and then like whoever the other two teams end up being, they're not going to be nearly as good as the teams that they're playing. But in a three-game series, anything can happen, especially when... If if it happens to be, say, well, if it's any of those teams, they all have some frontline starters that if they're right and they pitch well, they can just dominate a game in a way probably St. Louis doesn't really have frontline starters that can do that. And I don't know, Atlanta does have decent-ish starters, but it's not as good as the teams that are chasing them in terms of up top. So it really is like a thing where, yes, the clearly the better teams – are going to be hosting those those games in the I guess what are we we calling that the wild card round officially yeah a wild card round I think is good let's go with I think that. if a wild card team is if they're all playing then I guess they're, it's a wild card round right yep well there's one division winner in that wild card round so that's what I'm saying if yeah. all the wild card teams yeah. are playing sure it's kind of yeah the, the same thing in the NFL anyway are we not a little worried about the Cardinals with Jordan Montgomery in, in a short series now I mean. I think Jordan Montgomery is a fine pitcher. I don't think that he's a fine number one pitcher. I would rather have Zach Wheeler, uh, Joe Musgrove, or Corbin Burns going instead of him as a number one. I think they're, they're all clearly better than him. So, I I mean, Montgomery is fine, but I wouldn't put him up against any of those guys and say that he has the advantage. Would you? I guess, uh, no, but I'm a little worried that they figured something about him out and fixed something about him and made him super awesome that's I think all the main thing they figured out about him is that he shouldn't be pitching in yankee stadium and like pitching in the <laughs> al east like fair enough that's fair enough probably that's... the main difference and also he's gone from 
granted, as a left-handed pitcher, it's a little bit different because Yankee Stadium isn't nearly as hard on lefties as it is on right-handed pitchers. But there's also the thing of he's gone to one of the best places to pitch in baseball with the Cardinals. So, yeah, all true. Just it's been a little worrisome to see him just blow the doors off people six games in a row. That's all. Yeah, yeah, he has been really, really good, and that was a good pickup and a weird thing for the Yankees to have done. And holy cow, is it right. all falling in <laughs> on their heads right now? I, I just, I do feel like if the Brewers did the same thing and got the same results, we would be praising their genius. Whereas on the Cardinals, we're sort of like, nah, whatever. He's has this long track record, and he went to a pitcher friendly park. So just, just want to throw that out there for people in case we run into him in the playoffs. And he remains super awesome that we did mention that is possible. Yeah, that's fair. Like he's he's a he's a good pitcher. I just don't know that I would want him. I think you feel a lot better with him as your number two starting a playoff series than you do as your number one. And I think right now he would pretty clearly be their number one he starter. Would, so for sure, yeah, I I think that that's yeah. I I would feel a lot better with him as the number two. Fair enough. So we have a month left, which technically means that Craig Timber doesn't start until now. Mm, that's <laughs> a good that, point. Is that how we're going to roll with that? that that's how we're going to roll with that. I All guess, right. what, what do you think the Brewers need to, to be able to overtake the, the Padres and and or the Phillies at this point? Mm-hmm. Uh, not much. The, uh, catching those teams is just, I think, random hot getting more than anything else. It's um, if they In a normal Craig Timber, I, I think I wouldn't count them out necessarily for the Cardinals because we've seen them make up a stupid amount of space and they're at 8.5 that is a lot but um i think this is just playing good better than average baseball fixing your defensive mistakes and getting your pitchers right and really that that'll do the trick um one of these two is not going to keep up what they're doing and if you just play good baseball you'll catch one of them uh, it's not that hard that neither neither of them is very good um they just can't have a week where they lose, you know, six in a row like they sometimes do or have the bats go cold for an extended period. Many of the junk we see the Brewers do sometimes. Um, it's not that hard. It's not that hard a task. The third wild card is not, not a big thing, not a big problem, which is good because I do think this is a harder Craig Timber than normal without the super-duper expanded rosters um, to play with. I, I think that they're a bit limited in their ability to do that. It's not as good of a Craig Timber roster as normal. And uh, uh, they're going to have to rely on sort of standard getting hot baseball more than they normally do in this situation. Yeah, I think that's fair. To put a number on it, I was sitting there thinking about it. I mean, like, if they go 16 and 12, I think that gives them a legitimate chance to be in the playoffs if, you know, because one of those teams may just, like, crash and burn out. So to feel start to feel really good about their chances, like where I would start to say they have a better than average chance, better than 50-50 chance. You get to 19 or uh, 18, 19 wins, like something like that, then you really start to feel pretty good about their chances. You finish 18 and 10, I would think there's a better than 50-50 chance they're in, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would. Uh, I think that that is about where it checks out. Um, really, they just have to avoid being that team that crashes out. Um, you know, <laughs> yeah. one of, that, That's really it, and... Uh, it would be nice if they put together a nice winning streak before they had the double New York series. It's, it's in Miller Park, at least. Uh, so that's better. But uh, that's, I think, where they can get killed because they, they have St. Louis and the New York teams all in a row. It would be nice to have some kind of buffer built up before that. <laughs> but uh, 
overall, it's not that hard to schedule. And if they go about that, they'll be fine and probably will get in. Well, the Yankees can't free fall forever, can they? I mean, I, no, I, I mean, I wouldn't put any trust in the Brewers, like catching a down Yankees team like that. That's not they're super good. You don't count on that happening. <laughs> and they, I think, are going to be getting somewhat more healthy as we go here. Like, I think Stanton is already back and he probably is going to get into the swing of things pretty well. And yeah. so that's also interesting. Don't count. Don't count out the motivation that what was a, a runaway division lead is now not. Um, they are they're still up, but they have people now in striking distance, and um, that's that may motivate them to play a little bit more aggressive baseball than they have before too, and you know extend pitchers a little bit more and, and all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, for the Brewers to go on a, a run, they're probably going to need a healthy pitching staff. But uh, today they opted to spot start Adrian Hauser in place of Freddie Peralta uh, in Colorado, according to Council. Peralta is being pushed back to start push back one game no 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 push back to thursday he's getting completely out of colorado which is probably not a bad idea yeah you said okay peralta is being pushed back to start one of the games of the doubleheader thursday due to fatigue from todd rosiak he's exited games like around 80 the 80 pitch mark a couple of times and that's because he's fatiguing He's feeling good for most of his starts. Between starts, we think we should get him to the point where the fifth day, going into that day, he pitches, he should feel ready to go. And yesterday, after playing catch, we just didn't feel like he'd cross that threshold. Added Peralta, I've been recovering sometimes good between the games, but the last two games, it's been a little harder for me. I just get more tired sooner. Other than that, I've been feeling normal. Should Freddie be starting games at this point, or should they just shut him down for the season? Well, I think you want to go with the third option there in all likelihood. Um, if he's, first of all, if he can start, he should start. But if this is going to happen and, you know, coming back from injury, that this happens sometimes, put him in the pen and, you know, get him back that way. Make him long relief guy. Um, give him rest and still get use out of him if that's how it's going to be. Uh, it, for, I hope he can go. Like, I'd rather have Freddie starting. I mean, do they have the depth to do that, though? Well, like no, I, I, I get that. So, We've seen Freddie come out of the pen and pitch well. But so fundamentally, you are correct that they really don't have the same depth they normally do in the starting rotation to do that. But their bullpen depth's not great either. So I think you, you just look at it as a where can you get the most benefit kind of situation. And that might be it. Uh, you might actually, he might be starting a double header um, start more so just because that's going to tax your depth. And you, if that is like a three-inning Freddy start, I will not be that surprised. If that is a Johnny Holstaff bullpen game in disguise, and then that happens after that when the schedule returns to normal, I would not be surprised at that at all. I, I, I know nobody likes seeing Adrian Hauser starts, but he is back and available to start games, and they have enough starters. Um, if you're gonna go, if you're gonna do Craig Temper, um, you can limp by with Burns and Woodruff and other people. And then lean on the bullpen a little more heavily if you've got some long guys in there. And he can, I think, make that happen. I, I will not be surprised if that happens. I'll actually kind of predict that that happens. I'll bet the Freddie doubleheader start is a quick one, and he's done, and they go reliever heavy for the rest of it. Well, I think it's going to be a question of because in the games themselves, it hasn't been such a big deal, though they were talking about him being fatigued. His so, velocity was way down as, as his last start went on. Like, yeah. He lost like five miles an hour on stuff real quickly. Yeah, and they were noticing that and definitely were were paying attention to that. I think that in his case, with what they're dealing with with him, the best way to probably control him 
is to let him start, go as far as he can go, and then give him as much rest as he needs before he makes his next start. And that's probably the best way to get the ideal amount out of him. Because I don't know, if he's if he's relieving, you're probably gonna get like two innings at a time. Well, how long then are you going to lay off of him before bringing him back? Are you gonna give him the full like, you know, four days of rest before he comes back and makes his next two inning, two inning appearance? I think that probably the, the easiest way to handle this from just a, a management standpoint is wait till he's okay to make his next start start him, take him as deep as you feel comfortable, and then give him as much rest as he needs before he can make his next start. And that's probably just the easiest way to, to try to I, manage it. I mean, I don't think players like uncertainty, and that that creates uncertainty not only for Peralta, but for the rest of the staff if they don't know. Like, I think I'd almost hate a relief pitcher him. Like, have cap him at two innings um, and make him the long relief guy and ensure he gets, like, tell him every time, like, okay, you get two days off after two innings. And th- then you can use him in leverage, too. So that's that's what I would do. They might do they might do that, what you said, and, and te- like, you can roogie-loogie him with, you know, how Freddie works out a little bit, too. But um, I still think they'll pen him, because then they can also give him extra time if, he, if, if they need to give him extra time without messing with the schedule. Like, I'm guessing Freddie won't like getting stuff scratched it, it, it'll look like a setback for him relief gives you um the benefits of the doubt on that too if you need more rest so that just my prediction could be wrong but that's that's what i see they don't start guys if they can only go two three innings most of the time like that's not their mo well i mean he has been going deeper than that into these games he has been going five and six innings at a chunk yes but I think they get really worried after the last for those last two i think they they are seeing things that are not making them happy yeah which is why they're being cautious about this even in the midst of a pennant race even with all that which i think to me ultimately says that they're doing what they feel is best to protect him and they're not trying to push him too hard so whatever they do end up deciding to do i think we should probably just sort of assume that they're doing the best thing here for him because they have such a good track record on this in general in terms of managing pitcher health and just the the fact that they are being cautious about this, even in in the situation that they're in, I think that they've sort of earned a level of trust here that whatever they do decide to do, whether it's the bullpen or starting him out of the rotation, that they're going to be careful and not mess with him. This well, is, you're kind of assuming that a they they know what's going on. Well, I would assume they have you know diagnostic tools. Okay, so you're dealing what with like shoulder fatigue or just general fatigue? I don't. I mean, I mean, yeah, so they have they have access to well, it sounded more like general fatigue than it did shoulder fatigue, but they have access to when, when it's that broad and you're like, oh, they have diag- what are diagnostics? That's just as broad as well. No, I mean, they can they can monitor his his spin rates and his mechanics and look at all those things very minutely and and monitor those things closely. They can also look at, you know, just raw things like velocity. That doesn't monitor fatigue. Um, sure. Well, if the fatigue is showing up in things like modified mechanics, if the mechanics have slipped. He's saying I'm feeling fatigue days after a start, not during the start and watching mechanics break down. Well, then it's yeah, then it's a question of like the communication has to be good and he has to trust them and they have to trust him. And then that part of things has to be good. And, you know, and, <laughs> we're and get into you're that also in just a second. <laughs> and the problem is you're also balancing like. Freddie's health versus the needs of the team. So, I mean, to just say that, like, they're only going to do what's best for him. It's like, 
I don't know if the front office is feeling some pressure and they need him to start, they might be making that decision as well. Yeah, there could be some of that, though. The way that they're being cautious with him right now would suggest, I mean, if they were truly being like hyper aggressive. I mean, if they're being cautious, they'd, they'd shut him down. Well, yeah, but if they were being like Mets stupid, like Mets pre-Steve Cohen stupid, where you just like throw guys out there no matter what, he would have started today and there wouldn't have been any question about that. So he would have just made the start today and you, you know, it, it, that would have just been what happened. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that we can point out in this case is this is why guys, what is happening with Freddie right now is why guys take the deals like Freddie took and like Aaron Ashby oh, sure. took. Like, this oh, is why guys take yeah. those deals, because when you're a pitcher, it can all come crashing down really fast. And, you know, no matter what, at this point, Freddie is set for his lifetime. You know, as long as he reasonably manages his affairs well, like Freddie is set for his lifetime. Him yep. and his family are set. So, you know, if he was in his first year of arbitration at this point, that might be uh, not as or maybe his first or second. I can't remember exactly. But if he was not guaranteed this money, um, that would be an added wrinkle to this whole mess. So glad that it's not. <laughs> in other news, a new week brought new complaints from a player, this time a former one yes. in Lorenzo Kane. Yes, <laughs> this made everybody's day. Uh, this is from Adam McKelvey. I mean, it is what it is, Kane said. That's one of the reasons we kind of parted ways. I honestly feel like I never got that respect as a veteran, as a leader on this team, from certain coaches and certain upper management. That's mostly why we parted ways when we did. It wasn't about playing every day because I know I was struggling a little bit, said Kane, who was hitting 179 with a 465 <laughs> OPS through 156 plate appearances at the time he was cut. This goes back to not only this year, but years and years. It's been three years where I felt this way. I think when you mess around with that, when you're supposed to be the leader of this team, the veteran in the clubhouse, and you don't get that respect you feel you should get as a leader and a veteran, I think that makes it harder for me to lead and for certain guys to also lead. Ultimately, it shows up in a big way when you go out there and play on the field. I definitely think the boys can turn it around, but yeah, when you go through rough times, you need certain guys to keep guys going. I think that's one of the reasons it's been a struggle to get guys out of a funk. When you get rid of certain guys... When you start messing with the chemistry of the clubhouse, it affects everybody. It's happening right now. Hopefully, they can turn it around because you can see it's been weird. Something's off for sure. So, Justin asks, uh, who do you think is included in upper management? And is it possible, Craig, as a former player, tries to play the good cop role and paint management negatively? Ah. So, I I think it goes to GM and ownership. Um, but I think when players talk about front office people, it's often sort of an amorphous front office and re- references just whoever they, they see most frequently more than anything. Um, and, and so that I, I do think that the Brewers have been doing this for a while now. Like they've had they've had the sort of Craig um, as a go between regime for a while. And the at some point, people get savvy to sort of what the deal is and when they're doing a numbers play versus a player's play, I suspect stuff like that starts to grade on him. But uh, here's the thing. I, I don't think Craig uh, will throw management under the bus and portray them negatively. I don't think he'll do that. Uh, one of the things that he brings to the table is having worked up there and understands what goes on up there. And it, 
I'll just tell you, it's not good business practice to trash the guys who pay your salary, even to make the players happy. And ultimately, it's dumb because the players know, um, they know the the manager is part of management. It's in the name. He can pretend to be the player's guy all he wants, but ultimately, the best way to go about that is to, you know, relate to people via your your similar experience as a player while still being very clear that you know you are in charge and uh, ultimately report to management I, I if he does that I, I very much doubt it Craig p- plays good cop in the sense that he tries to you know message what people are supposed to do to the people uh, playing the game but he's not gonna turn on the front office to the players it, that's just not gonna happen. Yeah, that was kind of the way I was reading this is that he's talking about like, what does Craig do behind the scenes in terms of his interactions with the players? Does he sometimes say, well, Stearns wants this, but I don't want this, but that's what I have to do. Uh, I would guess that that probably doesn't happen very often, if at all, because it also undercuts his own credibility, right? It does. It makes him look like he is a middle manager who doesn't have the juice. And then that lessens the respect the players have for him. So I think it's in his own best interest to keep up, even if it is coming from above, that it's coming from him because that keeps it, you know, that keeps him as the 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 guy in their minds who's making the decisions. And maybe there's some of that going on. It wouldn't be the first time that there has been conflicts like that that have sort of spilled over, especially in this era where managers are more middle managers than really running the show the way they were, you know, a generation or two ago. That has definitely changed. But this is kind of a weird situation because Craig, one, predates uh, David Stearns. He does, yeah. And he was also hired directly by the owner, very specifically because he was supposed to be the guy who could do this and has been very successful. So I think he has more juice in reality than many managers do in today's day and age when they are somebody who's hired to be a middle manager by the guy who's actually in charge. That isn't what happened with Craig. So I would doubt that this really is going on, but I, there's also probably times when there are conflicts between upper management and Craig where they don't see eye to eye on something and Maybe some daylight shows up for the players. They can kind of see that maybe Craig is doing something that he doesn't want to do. But I would doubt that it goes much more than like cracks of daylight. I wouldn't think we're seeing like the the sun come streaming in through giant holes in the wall. I do think that's more likely to be the case, though. I agree with you that um, that council's job is to implement what the front office tells them to do in a player friendly way. And uh at some point, it probably does start to grate on him a little bit. I mean, and Craig, I think, is on board and understands that the nerds d- generally give him good information. But at some point, it, it you know your enthusiasm for selling things does start to wane in any organization where you're implementing ideas that aren't your own. Um, and I suspect that probably does have. And there have been a lot of those lately, like um, just the whole sort of hater arc of hater being a fireman and then being placed in the closer role. And then at some point they're probably being a bit of a fight between hater and his agent and the front office about what he should and should not be doing for arbitration reasons, for health reasons, when things are dire, um, that's all hard to message. That's, that's all difficult to explain to the rest of the team when things change and when they don't. Um, and then when you set a precedent with a guy like hater, 
and you go to like the, let's say you want to use Devin Williams in two winning two innings, you have to make the distinguished point between the two. Like, okay, if Josh isn't doing two innings, why does my guy have to do two innings? That's costing him health, and he's not getting saved, so it's not helping his arm case. Like stuff like that happens, and mm-hmm. precedents build up, and it's hard to massage those over time. It, it is, and it's. You know, it, you can always say like, okay, we're giving this guy some of your playing time. Um, he he's been doing a good job. He deserves a chance. He's a young guy. Blah blah blah. Be a mentor. Take a back seat. That works a couple times, um, but it doesn't work forever. And uh, at some point, the old guy's going to get ticked off that he's losing playing time. And I think that maybe a little bit of, like, I'm sympathetic to Lorenzo Cain's comments here, in terms of what he saw. But I will levy two criticisms at them. One is. Um, that he wasn't playing well enough to be that angry. Mm-hmm. And the other is, uh, and I don't begrudge anybody taking the COVID year off to be with his family, so I will not hold that year specifically against him. But taking 2020 out of it, he has been absent a lot of the time outside of that as well. He's been injured. He has not exactly been going the extra mile himself. Uh, so, like, you, you got your you got your, your service time. You, you got there. Congratulations. But you haven't exactly been like giving it all for the team here. So let's not be uh, the veteran leadership points. Let, let's not be too over the top in praising Lorenzo for being around mentoring guys because that's not the case. Yeah. And the well, 2020 thing, we both were in agreement, and I believe Steve was as well, that that was the absolute right decision. If that was what was right for him and his family, great. Do it. It's That's what you need to do. You go do that. Nobody on this podcast that I can remember ever begrudged him that one bit. But I think that <laughs> there there were certain realities that went with that. He basically took himself away from that team for that year. And that probably did impact how other players saw him in terms of his leadership, in terms of just his presence being around. And you pointed out last year in 2021, he was basically an everyday player, but he only got to 300 plate appearances, a little bit below it, because he missed massive chunks. He missed a huge chunk in April and May, and then uh, again in over the summer, he basically missed almost all of June and July. Yep. And that being gone, being out of the the field, being off the field, means you aren't being a leader the same way. Like even if he's in the in the clubhouse, even if he's in the dugout, and I don't know if he was or wasn't exactly how that broke down but regardless that's going to change what your status as the leader of the team is to the other players there and ultimately that's what matters because the whether or not he is a team leader is not us to say it's not even for management to say it's for the players to say right like the players are the ones that determine who their leaders are and who is doing that and so last thing like yeah if if you're going to be critical like this I would like some specifics. I mm-hmm. understand you don't want to throw people under the bus, but you are throwing people under the bus. Like if you are, if you think you were treated differently for taking 2020 off, uh, I think that's fair game for you to actually say uh, that's fine. Um, if you are hacked off about playing time and he says he's not, but he also kind of says he is, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can be explicit about that and you can describe how, if it hurt you, if you still think you were bringing value defensively, if it impacted your offensive game by not playing every day, you could do all that stuff. Like just leaving it out there, like, oh, the front office did some stuff I'm not happy with. Like, uh, if you still want to play in the game and not burn bridges, I'm not even sure that's helping you that much. 
Um, he's been a little hesitant about saying he's retired, retired. Maybe that is the case. But I, I don't like vague front office insults like this. Like, give me some specifics, something to hang hang on here. Um, otherwise, you start to look like um, Jermichael Finley, Greg Jennings, and Marty, Marty Bennett, who, you know, I think maybe correctly <laughs> ascertained that Aaron was a psycho. Um, but, you know, didn't go about it the right way. We're also kind of vague until they were way, way, way retired. And then stuff came out like you, you can do better. Uh, hold on. I, I, I think the other problem is, what is it like 99 percent of players don't get to choose when their career ends? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I think the difference here is the vast, vast, vast majority of those guys don't get to then do an interview with beat reporters two months later while the season's going on. Mm-hmm. Also true. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think that's a little bit of it. It's still raw for Kane. He got the opportunity to, you know, kind of speak on record. And this is what happens when, you know, those wounds are still open. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I feel had- bad for the guy, but he was he was washed. He like, was washed. I think I think if he was showing the old Lorenzo Kane defensive ability, there might have been a chance they'd, you know, at least given him the opportunity to try to pull out of the the offensive side. Yeah. But it was gone. It was all gone. He's and rich. it happens at that age. It does. Mm-hmm. He's rich and he's washed and he might even be right, but there's no way to tell that from anything that he said. Uh, it just sounds like griping. Well, and he doesn't have specific, he's not taking specific shots at specific people. And we've talked about the specific people part of it, but we haven't really talked about the specific shots. He's very vague about this. And when he says it wasn't about playing every day, well, you say that, but that kind of implies that it was about playing time and you not feeling like you were getting enough of it. And like, really, you were getting too much of it, if anything, once it was clear that you were washed and people were noticing like bat speed was down and all of that, that it probably is about playing time. And he is still hacked off about that. And the fact that he chose to do this in the middle of a run, knowing where where the Brewers are at and what's going on. This is kind of a blood in the water situation and all the sharks have come out. And I think that more than anything, what this and the Lauer thing tells us and the Devin Williams things before that, the fact that people have sort of lined up to air their grievances tells you that there's, there's some rough waters here that we didn't realize were there before now. Anytime a team is winning, they have great chemistry. Anytime a team is losing, Mm -hmm. they need to work on their chemistry or there's a chemistry issue in the clubhouse. And there's always a way to explain it one way or the other. So, yeah, it'll be actually interesting to see the Vikings this year because they've been talking up how their chemistry has improved with their new uh, new coaching staff. And I think they might kind of suck. So let's test it with the Vikings. We'll we'll keep track. (laughs) But Kirk, Kirk Cousin doesn't believe in that chemistry, right? Kirk Cousin doesn't believe in chemistry or biology or physics or anything else like that. So, yeah. <laughs> or how to cook. <laughs> um, okay. So we have Ultimate Vehicle Fight Club. Who are these people nowadays? I tell you, where'd you, where'd you get these people? Uh, given this article and the words from other active brewers after the hater trade, uh, do you think the team doesn't have the people aspect of management down as much as we thought? We were kind of talking about this already. Yeah, I think yeah. that this is pretty undeniable, right? Like, it's it's yeah. worse than what we thought. But I wouldn't go so far as to say that, like, it's a zero. It's it's bad. I think that we thought that they were exceptional. And maybe we're seeing that they're, you know, 
more. Well, you thought they were exceptional, but no, you I, basically everybody thought they were exceptional. Paul, did you not think that they were exceptional? In no, terms I of did, stuff? and I still think they're probably very good at it. Yeah, um, it, it's more that I think that the way that the Brewers operate is. Uh, for guys who are around a long time, they start to sort of see through it. And they do, people don't, first of all, baseball players are not sophisticated baseball consumers. Like they're not listening to baseball prospectus podcasts or fan graphs podcasts. Well, most aren't. Podcast. Some are, but most aren't. But the vast majority of baseball players are not doing that. They view baseball like front office work the same as it was like in the 80s. And when they think they're being treated as numbers, A, they don't trust it. Not all the time, but a lot. Don't trust it, um, and they they think that um, people are not like baseball. People aren't making proper decisions. The more CC starts to look like um, a nerd to a lot of the players, um, and not a baseball manager to a lot of players, the harder that job gets. Um, and the longer you're around him, the harder that probably gets. When you see the front office make dictates and have them come down and and be implemented. The harder it is for counsel to relate as a player's player, it that's just how that is. So I think that's that is part of it. And even if he's good at it, uh, the message is only you know twenty percent. The actual actions taken by the front office are going to be noticed by four and five and six year veterans. That's that's just how things work. Well, and also I think it's particularly how they do things in this organization and how you know the newer, younger, smarter front offices tend to do things is they tend to treat players as independent cogs that they can move around on sort of and and plug in where needed. And they count on their managers to be able to make all of that go smoothly. Right. They they count on the, the, the guys in the field to try to get the players to buy into this idea. Hey, this is our best way to win. But especially when money is involved, that is going to cause a lot of rifts. That was one of Eric Lauer's main gripes was that. Because of money, this team isn't going to be together forever. So when they're talking about, you know, bites at the apple and all that stuff, that doesn't really ring true for the players because they know that, you know, they could be in Kansas City, you know, next year. Like they know that they, they might not be here. So they have a I different mean, does, does he under does he understand the business of baseball? Eric Lauer? Clearly he doesn't. No, I mean, it, and some players are better at just like dealing with the the uh, like the realities of it than others. I think maybe players as they get older often sort of get more attuned to the realities of what the game is. But then some players like Lorenzo Cain has gotten older and he seems to think that he's not being properly respected the way that he has earned. And so I don't know. I mean, what do you They need to learn that people, they need to learn that work friends aren't your friends. Okay? <laughs> They're work friends. The only reason you have a relationship is because you work together. Okay? Like, get over it. They move on. Yeah, you don't talk to them anymore. It's fine. There's another schmuck that's going to take their place. It's okay. You're, you're going to find another work friend. It'll be fine. But, you know, you got these people who think, like, they're their actual friends. I'm like, get over it. Steve's in management now, Paul. <laughs> I mean, it's a fair point, actually. In every other job in the well, world. Well, if, if I was a good if I was a good manager, I'd be saying, "Oh my God, you love all the people you work with. You need to come back to the office to be with them." Exactly. That's bullshit. Pizza they Fridays, are guys. people you work with. They are not your friends. So you're not it showing. Is it is fine if you have a friendly relationship, but they're not your friends. You're not showing a varsity blues in the conference room on on Thursdays. No, that'll get you 
fi- fired by They'll HR. Fired real quick. quick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, more Lorenzo Kane. We have uh, Zach Butcher. Mm-hmm. What is that? He's a Twitter guy. One. Yeah, untitled I, one. I got that. The untitled. Oh, so not Zuntitled? I don't know. How do you pronounce any Twitter handle, honestly? I have no idea. Uh, in light of Locan's comments today, what's more plausible? CC's ability as a people manager uh, being overstated since the start, or CC's ability to connect with players has waned recently? Or number three, the coaches around council are not great. Oh, and number four. <laughs> man, this is a lot. Yep. Uh, the org is frustrated by Kane since 20. Which we kind of talked about that one. There's I, probably some lingering frustration. I think there's plenty of one and four to go around here. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't one since the start. I don't know about that. Oh, sure, um, sure, sure. Um, but I do think uh, Craig Council is getting older. Players are getting younger. It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so so am I. And uh, it is harder to relate to younger people the older you get, just because younger people are into cooler things in different media than you are. And so you make different references than they do and you, uh, you know, consume different media than they do. So that happens to everybody. Two is definitely on the table. Uh, four is probably true. Uh, we are we're fine with Kane taking 20 off. Um, other people in baseball probably aren't. That is also as true as anything else. So, well, the youths uh, are all on the TikTok now, which is just frightening. <laughs> <laughs> uh tiktok they'll uh, there was bound to be a video on some point i'm not surprised it happened there'll be there'll be another one in five years and we'll have to learn that one too okay time for the patreon questions and we start with jay who, who else yeah who else will we start with McAlvey posted this week that the brewers have scored four or more runs this year 80 times which was fifth when he tweeted it fifth and that's all of baseball Mm-hmm. Uh, so how come we are struggling to make the wild card? Also, isn't it an odd thing? Also, <laughs> is offense really the problem or is it pitching? Feels like the hitting has taken the brunt of the inconsistencies on the team. All right. To be fair to Jay here, uh, I am the one who planted this question with him. Yeah. So this is oh, my really? fault. This is my fault. <laughs> how unsuspicious. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you want to answer it then? Sure, I was going to say, yeah, then, <laughs> then clearly you had an answer. Yeah, so McAlvey uh, went through then and, and looked at, like, how many times have they been shut out or scored one run, and they were kind of middle of the pack, maybe a little bit below average in those, and then looked at, like, uh, how many times did they have they scored five runs? They were still very highly ranked on five runs, but it dropped to, if I remember right, 18th when you get to six runs. So six runs or more, that dropped down to below the average. So it seems like in the sweet spot there, they're scoring like four and five runs quite a bit. And in the past, for what the Brewers have been in the past, that would have been great. Four or five runs with the pitching staff that this team had last year, they'd be winning, you know, they'd be on pace to win like 95 games right now. No problem. The problem is, is that the pitching hasn't been as good. And that's been largely due to injuries, but also due to just guys not having as good a years as they did last year. I think you look at like Adrian Hauser, he was well above average last year. He's solidly below average this year. Uh, you look at, you know, Freddie Peralta has been off the field a lot. Brandon Woodruff missed quite a bit of time. Burns hasn't been as good as he was last year. He's still been pretty good. I think, I think people are getting a little bit uh, conf- like messed up by the fact that he's been pretty mediocre lately but his season as a whole has been really really good so 
it's not really on him, but mostly this is just like if you took this offense and put it with last year's pitching, they would be great. They're, that It's not really a problem that way. So I think that, again, mostly the problem, we've been over this so many times, like the problem is more pitching than it is hitting. It, it is. They, they still like they are worse at winning uh, close games than they used to be as well so that is also a piece of it like and is that more pitching or hitting it's still more pitching for sure that that is a pitching problem not they used to be outstanding at it now they're sort of a normal team at it uh sorry the noises that you heard in the background were me frantically pulling up a spreadsheet to check the math on this and uh, i'm not done yet so (laughs) um there's that but um i still Does, does the wild or does your spreadsheet say that this is an odd thing it does not say that this is an odd thing but it, I mean, it's odd for the Brewers to be have pitching the current Brewers uh, to have pitching be their weakness. It, that is legit weird, uh, and I, I do think that it, we shouldn't underscore the they're not doing a lot of blowing out um, as a problem because that is also a problem uh, when you play a lot of close games, which they do, and then you start to get worse at winning them. That's also bad for you, and um, you know having enough offense to to have a small lead in close games is also part of the design and part of the problem in addition to the pitching not holding up their end of the bargain which um, is is a harder end of the bargain to hold up because they were so good at it they were well above um, what teams normally have in that capacity yeah i mean it started with haters meltdown around what right before the all-star break yep um once that happened, yeah, their ability to close out those games close, which is, I think, where they made up the difference, you know, where they'd always outplay their um, run different differential. Uh, that's where it really started to bite them. Yeah, they were, they yeah. haven't been winning those late games. Because, I mean, you guys feel it. We get in the, the eighth and ninth inning. If it's close, you're just waiting to see, like, when, when they blow it. Like, who's going to come out and give up that run that generally hadn't been happening the last few years? Yeah, I'll admit the eighth inning today was uh, a wild ride when you had Rodgers look pretty good and then the bases get loaded and Devin William comes in with the bases loaded and you're like, oh, God, Ah. he's going to like he's going to give up a home run here and it's going to be on both of them and both of them will be considered bad by the narrative. And it's like, oh, this is terrible because both have actually been pretty good like honestly Devin Williams had uh an ERA under two and a half last I looked since the the deadline and Rogers is I think right around four he did give up that long home run to CJ Cron today but you know uh course things that's gonna happen it was more concerning that he loaded the bases so yeah I think that mostly I think you do worry that like they're not getting out in front of enough games and maybe that's coming maybe we'll see that down the stretch we can always hope but that probably does wear on the pitching staff a little bit but they played a lot of close games in past years too and like that never really happened I think the main thing is they went from having two outstanding relief pitchers and very often in the past you know for the last few years it's been Williams and Hayter two outstanding relief pitchers but before that it was always you know Hader and Jeffress or Hader and Knable or Hader and Jeffress and Knable, when they've had multiple really, really good relief pitchers, that does tend to cover up a lot of other things and allows teams to 
you know, outplay their what you would expect in one run games as well. So, yeah, it's I, I think that ultimately when we look back on this season, the story of baseball reference is going to be, oh, the pitching was the problem here, not the hitting, especially cons- uh, compared with what, say, happened last year. When you compare it to the team that won 95 games last year, <coughs> the pitching is undoubtedly the problem here by this, comparison. This also, it, it, this does not give us the, the good team, bad team splits also. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Always so that. The, the, most, the most common total they've scored is five. That's 24 times. Uh, then it drops way down. They've scored four and two 16 times each. Um. They have scored three 14 times. That's the next most common. And then there's a big tie at 12 between one, six, and seven. Um, they've been shut out 11 times. And uh, they almost never score more than seven runs, which is maybe an under uh, underappreciated story. Um, after seven, it drops way, 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 way down to just um, outliers for all of them. Hmm. Yeah. And they, they do have some big run totals. Like, what is the highest run total they have this season? Was it like 16? They scored 19 runs. Oh, okay. Once. They scored 18 runs once. Um, they scored 12, 12 runs once. They scored 11 runs twice. 10. 10 a big one. They scored 10 runs five times. Very surprising. Hmm. Um, and uh, th- those are their big totals. Interesting. Okay, Jason Elbert asks, to each of you three, do you think this season is disappointing, yes or no? You want me to read the rest of his We can We can just here. take this part of it. Yeah, it's it's disappointing. Yeah, it is. They're not contending for a division title, and they're not, I don't think, serious World Series contenders. So it's disappointing. They they had the makings of that for the previous you know several seasons, and this could have been a season where it all came together with dominant pitching, and it just didn't. So it's disappointing. Are you disappointed, I mean, we, Steve? It, it is disappointing. Um, but, you know, you say several seasons. 2020 wasn't good. Like, no, 2020 under, was also just weird. Yeah. yeah, they were under. Well, yes, it was weird. But <laughs> it, they were under 500 on that season. They, yeah. they got into the playoffs because they expanded the playoffs that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they weren't in. I, I'm not saying it was really a good season. I just don't think I would count it for anything. It, it's like it, a non-season. Yes. It counts. <laughs> it counts. You know, I you it's can... funny because people like to write off like players having bad COVID seasons. But yeah. like if you had a good COVID season, like it counts. I don't which... know. I, I would kind of write those off too. They're, yeah. They're all small sample like, size. Jose Abreu won the AL MVP that year. Like, okay. Yeah. It's kind of weird. It's just and he would, it is, it is it, weird. Had it but been a it, bigger season, it he happened. wouldn't have. It's a small sample size season. Like it is, but it still happened. Yes, it they still played. Happened. It that's still correct. existed. Times arrow um, went forward. Yes, that's correct. Yes. So uh, yeah, I mean it's it's frustrating. But let's see, what have they had in 2018? They won 96 games, and they won 89. Yeah. Then they had the COVID season at 29. Then they won 95, and now they're on pace for what mid 80s again? 86. 86. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of in a trend that they've had. I don't think it's. It's disappointing, but it's not out of line. Well, like if you go well, back, okay. But it, when you're when you're plus or minus on a season is like ten games, which is kind of every baseball season. 
if it's on the high end, it's good. And if it's not on the high end, it's disappointing. And randomness might be a big factor, but it's still disappointing. Like, mm-hmm. you, yeah, you but good. I mean, do you remember like 2008 through 12, like mm-hmm. all those teams that we loved and they'd win 90 games and they'd win 77 games and they win 96 games. Yeah. Those teams had wild swings. And I'm they were saying. disappointing when they didn't win a bunch of games because they were wasting a bunch of good offensive players years. And they oh, no. Yeah. Win. Yeah, um, I get that. Pitching acquisition and philosophy. Yes, those were disappointing seasons. That's correct. But if they're if they're still like having a bad season and winning in the mid eighties, they're at least in it. Mm-hmm. Like so, overall, it's a disappointing season. But I, I don't think the organization is like in a bad place because of this season. It's all contextual. Like if this is your bad season, even if they let's say they flatline and they end up at like 80 wins or 81 wins, if 81 wins in the context of like a five season span, if that's your bad season, then you're doing pretty damn well for yourself, especially in a, a market like Milwaukee. Like you are doing pretty damn well at that point. So it's all dependent on what the context is. And yeah, like he, he talks about like, are there unforeseeable or unforgivable errors here? And like whatever, I think that the front office has a, a good plan in general. They know what they're doing. And as much as it pains people at times like this year, there are going to be times when they aren't as aggressive because they're thinking about the next year and the next year and the next year along with this year when they're not as aggressive as people would like. And that's going to piss people off. But when future you gets those those teams, you're going to be happy about those teams because they didn't they didn't mortgage the future. They didn't sell off a bunch of pieces or they they added pieces like in the hater trade this year. They added guys who are going to make future you happy. So like it it's all just a it's all just a balance and ultimately this team comes out about? ahead. Yeah I, I wait, 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 wait. Do you not like future you is going to be happy that they made the hater trade. Because they got okay. back good players. You got fucking Doctor Who over here. What the <laughs> hell are you talking about? That's probably true, but I don't know that they're in. Uh, they could be in a better spot for this year, and always there are some worrying signs for the future as well, including their pitching not being as good, which you love to bring up so much. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, that's the strength of this window and it declining a bunch sort of across the board is not the greatest. I mean, did it, did it decline a bunch? I mean, Burns had a fantastic season. Having some regression this year is like a shock. I don't think Woodruff has really been like Matt. He hasn't had a massive decline. He missed some time Mm -hmm. and he's been better since he came back. Otherwise, as far as a run stopper goes, I think he's, you know, he's been fine. He's what we expect. Lauer's been solid. Mm-mm. Like, he got off to a hot start, but, you know, he's, he's been, kind of. He's been all right. He's normal. Well, yeah, but, I mean, he was supposed to be, what, the fourth starter? Yeah. If your fourth starter is putting up, what is, hold on, what is Eric Lauer at right now? Eric Lauer's ERA plus is at 113. If your fourth starter is putting up a 113 ERA plus, you're happy with that. Like, that's never a bad thing. It's the same as Woodruff's. Yes, it is. So maybe that's a little bit more troubling in uh-huh. that, though. Woodruff's was like... It's he's the same a- as Peralta's. They're all 113. It's the 113 club. Yeah, and if the season ended today, we could look back in that and just say, well, clearly this is why the team was cursed, because all of those 13s. But it doesn't end today, thank God. And also, we don't believe in that bullshit. No, we don't. 
Okay, MC Cham asks, uh, if you could have one do-over since the start of the 2021-2022 offseason, what could have had the biggest impact on the Brewers this season? I mean, it's probably a move they didn't do more than one, regretting one they did. Just give me one extra bat more than anything. I, but I, I don't know if there's a specific one to point to. That's the problem. Also, Taylor Rogers is 113 as well. It's getting more fun as I read more pitching <laughs> stats. Um, Brent Suter's I, close. I, when did they sign the uh, Yelich extension? That was 2020, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's been too too long to revisit. So, because let's I mean, let's be honest, that would be the that biggest would be regret. It, yes. If you wanted to free up money for them to go sign somebody, that's probably the place it's it's going to right now. The problem is they didn't make more moves because Hunter Renfro was a good move. They uh, honestly, what really screwed them more than anything else is probably Kane. Um, <laughs> Kane not quitting before the season and waiting till the season was going on which meant that they didn't address the biggest weakness on the team, which maybe they would have done had they known he was going away. So um, yeah, what, what plus, if I could change that, that's what I want to change. Yeah, what plus offensive and defensive center fielder was available for them to sign? Exactly. Exactly. It was going to be hard to, to fill that gap, especially with Kane there. Can you imagine the howling that would have ensued had they actually brought? I mean, I think that Tyron Taylor was sort of an ideal backstop for Lorenzo Kane in terms of making sure that the position didn't become a complete well, and, quagmire. and McCutcheon. Yeah, sure. I mean, Kutch, Kutch added more. He's hardly played center field. He's been more of a corner guy, but that yeah. has also helped to backstop that I'm just saying, as far issue. as, you know, here's another vet come in. You can kind of roam around in the outfield a little bit, but yeah, it's not your primary position because I have one. Either. I know what I would do. I would have had them sign Kyle Schwarber. But Schwarber's barely better than Rowdy Telez. No, he's second in the National League in home runs. I understand he's hit home runs, but overall as an offensive player, he's not like a massive upgrade because he doesn't hit the ball that much if he's not hitting a home run. Yeah, and also Kyle Schwarber got, oh, let's see. Uh, he only got three it years. It was a stupid contract. Three years and 60 million, I guess, taking him through his That's age not 30, bad. Through his age 32 season. Yeah, I mean that's it's, not bad. <laughs> it's fine. Like what what has he done this year though? I'm I'm looking at this and thinking like uh okay, his batting average is 215. Don't you hate their batting average, Paul? And don't you hate strikeouts? Uh, he's leading the National League in strikeouts this year at 172. He is, absolutely. But he's also That's leading good. the National League in home runs at 36. He'd yep. be like more and like he's I'm got a 122 OPS plus. He's basically Rowdy Telez. Yeah, and I'm just saying. So if you look at it like where do you want to improve the team? That doesn't get you it much further than what you already have there. It really is. You're looking at center field or third base. And I don't think going to center field, they should, they could have foreseen a little bit more, but again, you're tied into Kane's contract to begin with. So you're going to give the guy an opportunity, you know? So then it's a matter of, do you want to, do you trust Urias to take a step forward or do you want to kick a young player out of a spot? Yeah, no, I Urias is part of the the building of this team. I've I got into a lot of arguments about Urias the last two days, and uh, I shouldn't have because it was dumb. <laughs> but like, or people seem to be convinced. I, it actually made me think of the Bill James line where he talks about uh, why there's so few third basemen in the Hall of Fame. Which, if you don't know, there's very few third basemen in the Hall of Fame. And James says, "Well, it's because basically voters think that they should all be 
Uh, they should hit like first baseman and they should play defense like shortstops. And so that kind of limits the pool as to what they actually accept. And if you look at it, like there are many Scott Rowland, who is a clear top 10 all time third baseman, is having trouble getting into the Hall of Fame. And he's clearly in the top 10 by every metric you'd look at. So like it is it is really just it's tough to be a the, the third baseman that people think uh, they want like. But we have a question coming up. I'll just leave it for the question because we're, we're going to roll through a bunch of questions here. Okay. Uh, my only lemonade s. Unfortunately, the Arizona series finally broke my brewer spirit, and I'm looking for an additional team, not a different team, to root for down the stretch. Any suggestions? <laughs> Since I'm in MLB blackout hell of Iowa, a non-Midwest team would be preferable. preferable. Also, maybe a team that's a bit more fun to watch. Oh, I've got one. Uh, Cleveland. The Guardians are are they are they too Midwest? Well, they're not in the blackout zone, so that that part of it is fine. Like he's not getting blacked out of it. Um, and the the cool thing about the Guardians is they are far and away the youngest team in baseball this year. I don't know if you realize that, but they are the youngest team in baseball by quite a bit. And so you can kind of catch them on the uh, upswing here of a uh, of a new generation of players. And Cleveland very stealthily, if you look back at what they did. They didn't do the teardown rebuild the way that uh, other people have. It's the closest. It's even better than what the Brewers did because they didn't even have bad seasons. Like, I think they bottomed out at like 80 wins. And they're already like set up with a good young team that is ready to go and a loaded farm system. So if you want a team to catch on on the ride up, uh, it would be them. And I guess the Mariners, too. Like, the Mariners have to be fun to watch, right? I I was going to say the Mariners. I would also... Uh, throw in the Orioles in there. Sure. You are surging and have fun young people. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the Orioles never win. And they're, they've just been shooting up the, the AL East rankings and are still not super plausible, but they're 4.5 games out of a wild card slot. Um, and they seem seemingly bring up a number one prospect like every day that happens. So. Mm-hmm. Okay, Mark Podscarby, I've pretty much given up on the season, which is the theme for everybody here. <laughs> God, mm-hmm. God, it's two games to the wild card. Yeah, you're not like, that far don't, out. Don't give up. Like, I'm not saying it's been the most fun season to watch, but don't give up. Maybe they'll still let me fix Yelich, and then we'll you know, win the World Series. He is broke. There's, you can't fix something that's shattered like that. I still maintain I can, but that's, I'll never get to prove it, so it doesn't matter. Okay, Uh, so Mark has pretty much given up on the season and moved on to the Packers and Badgers. Uh, So he's just listening to reporting is eligible now. (laughs) Thanks, Mark. (laughs) Uh, He wanted to say that he appreciates uh, everybody doing this every week. Uh, It's by far my favorite Brewers podcast. I look forward to it every Monday or Tuesday. Yeah, it's a lot of or Tuesdays these days. Yeah, yeah, a lot of holidays and stuff lining up, but. Get back to Ryan soon. Ryan was chasing fish around all summer. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was. Embrace your oldness and, and you know, just admit that you, you probably outgrow that at some point. Mm, no? Mm, no. You, oh, yeah. Mm, people fun. famously outgrow following jam bands around the country. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. They usually do. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the middle phases of, uh, of that whole thing. Like, the crowd is, what, half older than me, half younger than me? So he got new Crocs. So the tread is still good on him to 
stand on the hills out there. <laughs> what did I tell you? Like a mountain goat going up and down those hills? Yep. I tell you. Uh, okay, let's see. Prince Trozen? Price. Price. Price Trozen. He's he hasn't given up on the season yet. Outfield question. I saw Ryan tweet <laughs> some <laughs> some about it yesterday. But what do you think uh, Tyrone's and Renfro's roles will be next year? Yeah. So I think that Tyrone is an ideal, like really pretty ideal, like fourth fifth outfielder for this team because a lot of those young center fielders that they have, everybody except Ruiz, they're all left handed. So he gives you a, a, a balance there, a, a right-handed bat. He has some power. He can credibly play all three outfield positions. And so, yeah. And I think Renfro is next year. He is the bridge to hopefully Joey Weimer, though it may turn out to be Jackson Churio. We'll see how that ends up all shaking out. But yep. I think you bring Renfro back for next year, knowing that he's probably going to miss uh, time. Because what do you do, three stints on the aisle this year? Mikey had three. Yeah, I think three. And so you're going to have times when you need to bring other people up and and let them play. So I think that, yeah, I think both of them come back and both of them play roles on the team. Renfro is basically, I think, a starter still and Tyrone as a utility guy who gets, you know, three, four hundred plate appearances. Yep. Agree with all of that. Um, t- Taylor is a good fourth or fifth uh, backup outfielder for all those reasons. Right-handed power is nice, and being able to pl- plausibly play every position is nice as well. And uh, assuming Renfro is still on the team, he's he's a good solid bat with a good solid arm and uh, a good guy to have around. And uh, you know, not so not a star, but a you know well above average player that's nice to have if nothing else. Yeah, way better than what I thought. Because remember, I somewhat panned that deal. I thought he had had a up year last year and was probably due for a down year this year. And if anything, he's been a little bit better even. So yeah, yes. Yeah, I was he's, very wrong about Renfro. Plus, he crazily has the same name as a football player, which is ridiculous, given that they're not like John Smith. Did you see him wearing the the jersey yeah, on their road course. trip? That was great. <laughs> and I love how it's spelled so ridiculously wrong. <laughs> well, they spell them differently, so yeah, checks out. But wrong, Paul. Wrong. Yes, but wrong. Correct. Okay, on to the Twitter questions. Jason Bartholomew asks, who is the Aramis Ramirez Slugging third baseman, they can buy in the offseason to start to make this lineup uh, one that could really contend. Any uh, ideas? Well, somebody just like literally tweeted me eight minutes ago saying Yandy Diaz. So they saw this pop into the uh, into the discussion. Yep. So like I I did tweet out the uh, the list of guys for this year. Uh, it's Hanser Alberto, Aledemis Diaz. Yeah. Brandon Drury and Wilmer Flores and uh, Evan Longoria. If the Giants, as expected, don't pick up his option because um, Jose Ramirez has already been extended. And there was another guy on that list, too, who I don't think is going to be on the, the market. So is Longoria the one that's actually around Ramirez's age when he signed? <laughs> uh, I think he's older. Next year Ram- will be Evan Longoria's age 37 season. He is quite oh, up there at this point. And yeah. we signed we signed. Aramis at like 34, 35. Yeah, he was like, yeah, 34. he was, yeah, yeah, not the same. Uh, to, to Evan Longoria's credit, he was pretty productive when he played, but ooh, he did not play very much. 
So, yeah, to be clear, Yandy Diaz would have to be a guy that you would trade for. And the question on that one is, well, do people actually want Yandy Diaz? Because he has like 10 home runs. His value is he's got an almost 400 on base percentage this year. And that's great. He's also a below average, solidly below average defender at third base. Yep. So, like, you're kind of you know, giving with one hand and taking from the other. And like, you're actually probably losing power off of what Urias is, but we don't know if your Urias is going to end up at second base, depending on what they decide to do with Colton Wong. Cause Wong has been really good lately. I don't know if you've noticed, but Wong has uh, redeemed himself quite a bit from that beginning start. Though still the defense today. He had another play. It was a very difficult play and they ended up giving him an error but it was like one of those improv plays. And on improv plays this year, it's like every single time he has one, he botches it. Yeah, he does. It's and not it, great. And that's weird, right? Because it's it's not so much like the normal errors that you uh, – like those are would be concerning. This is like he normally makes really good defensive plays, and he's just mm-hmm. like – he tries to make the good defensive play and fails. So, But his, his uh, OPS plus is – he's up to uh, 111 now. So he's solidly above average, especially for a second baseman in terms of hitting. So I don't know what they do with him. Yep. No idea. Because that's going to determine what they do with Urias, right? Like that's going to play a large role in where they decide to move him, where they decide to play him, all of that. Okay. Josh Semro asked the worst question. (laughs) Uh, Have you ever had a worse bite of an apple? And this annoys me. Because Sam, whatever you, you have, all these meathead fans that all they want is a team that comes out and says we're going to contend every year. We're going to yep. contend. We're going to contend. And because they used a phrase like "bites of the apple," people think like it's somehow a negative. So I don't know. Do you not want them to contend every year? <laughs> is that what you're asking? Yes. Is that what you want, Josh? <laughs> they, thank you. This has been my complaint because people have turned this into such an insult, and it's so. Like, I actually asked him, so you mean that you don't want them, you're mocking the idea that they want to contend every year. That's what you're mocking. Like, do you really want to go with that and whatever? Um, but to actually answer the question seriously, I wrote it down. Yes. Oh, I have had- oh I'm serious. I am totally serious. Oh, no, no. Shut I, up. I, I get it. To answer, bite the. have I had worse bites of the apple? Yes. 2009, 2010, 2012, 2014, 2020. Those were worst bites of the apple, though. 20, it, whatever, like everything was terrible in 20. So you can write that off. But yes, 9, 10, 12, and 14. Definitely worse bites of the apple than this, for yeah. sure. There have obviously been lots of worse bites at the apple. I, I think people would say that you can, you can go for it and continue to have bites at the apple with slightly more capital, though. Um, it, you're right. It takes a little more little more heat than it should as an aphorism it's not that bad yeah i mean considering that they've been contending for what five seasons yes. now in a row mm-hmm. like none of the the group of prince fielder ryan braun etc coming through ever had runs like that no not even Th- close they didn't not yeah they did not at all no they and contended in- those yeah and people love those teams but i yeah i don't know what well, to say. it wasn't really their fault no, you know, we, we should refer to them as like the, the Braden Looper era. It was, you know, yeah. I mean, it was Doug Melvin and Bruce Side. Yeah, it was Doug Melvin's second half of 2006 that will haunt I was, me I was waiting for Ryan to, to come riding in 
with that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. that second half of 2006 screwed them over so bad. They made so many mistakes, and it really did set them up to fail as far as pitching goes for the next long while. And they could have they could have done so much better than what they did in it. It sucked. So, and that's what directly led to the 2009-2010 seasons. Yeah, which were huge disappointments and a big waste of a, a generational haul of hitting talent that they had come through. Indeed. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, that's kind of our thoughts on that. Uh, don't overlook the fact that, A, they're still in it, and B, this is still a pretty solid run for the Brewers going on right now. Like, you can be disappointed. And I, I get that it's a frustrating team to watch at times. Like, especially, again, when you're watching late in the game, which used to be a point where they'd lock it down and you're like, how are they going to blow it this, you know, this night? And it just keeps happening. But man, they're right there. They have stupid teams ahead of them that they can definitely catch. This team's not out of it yet. And if you listen to national baseball podcasts, like effectively wild, like the, the ringer ones or not the ringer ones, the, uh, um, the athletic ones, all those, they will talk over and over and over again about how boring baseball is right now, how it needs to get fixed, and about how everybody's just kind of like miserable with the state of offense in the game right now because yep. it's not aesthetically pleasing. The Brewers are not an outlier here. This is perfectly in keeping with what's going on in the game. So it, it is just a part and parcel of – and yes, the Brewers do lean into it more than what other teams do. They've, they've heavily leaned into this because I think they saw it as their path to winning. And I also think that like the whole the Brewers not being exciting, like the most exciting play in baseball is the home run. And the Brewers are one of the leaders in baseball in terms of hitting home runs. So like they're doing some exciting things. They're giving teams <laughs> that. And like uh, we've done this so many times. I, let's just go on to the new patrons because yes, I've got shtick. OK, am I reading the new patrons? You want to read? The no, new I've, patrons, I've got Ryan. the new patrons. So, OK. Um, welcome to five new patrons this week. Like, seriously, thank you, folks. Uh, Stuart Frost, uh, Jaquil, uh, Gumak, uh, is how I'm going to go with that. Eric, <laughs> Eric Romblom, my only out. lemonade, who already asked a question of us this week. Um, and then to our 100th patron, uh, Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth, <laughs> Elizabeth, uh, pretty tough. Ha- yeah, Hobbit Riser is yeah. I, I messed up the uh, the easy one because I was focusing on the hard one. But uh, she is our one hundredth patron, and you may have noticed last week we also talked about having a one hundredth patron. But I also mentioned that that was going to go away because as soon as we get to the end of the month, we lose some people. Before they people. update their credit cards, so yep. yes, he, Elizabeth Hobbenreiser is our second. Is is um, that her middle name or her last name? Oh, you're right. Uh, Elizabeth Hobbenreiser Bergen was the the name that was on the thing. That's what we Elizabeth. Read. In honor of you being the 100th uh, patron for the second time, Ryan's going to screw your name up four different ways. <laughs> I really am. So I I told you I had shtick. I didn't know it was going to be that shtick, but I I had shtick. So. I'm also guessing it's Galmac, but I could be wrong. We'll find out. Galmac? There's definitely an A oh, in there. Yeah, what did I say? Goo. Oh, yeah. Galmac. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a yeah, that's definitely Galmac. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> this is why we had Breen read these originally, was because he didn't insult people's uh names. 
Well, way back then, we had more old-timey names for him to pronounce. We did. That is true. Well, a lot of German names. Okay, and before we go this week, we'd like to ask you to leave a review and a rating for this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any podcast platform you use, but specifically Apple Podcasts, where Paul will read literally anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. And Paul, do we have a five-star review this week? We do, from new patron Eric Romblom. Um, So, Eric, as per the deal, um, my favorite sports podcast. Great insight blended perfectly with a fan's perspective. However, I'd like to take this opportunity to hate on fish. Absolutely (laughs) nightmarish stuff. Everyone is entitled to like what they like, but man, I hate fish. I worked at a college bar with the TouchTunes jukebox, and without fail, several times a week, someone would load it up with like $5 in fish selections, which equals about seven hours of fish. That is true. <laughs> that is. I understand true. they're very talented musicians and whatnot. It's just so much noodling. And the fans, oh man, please stop trying to convert me or explain why I should give this 12-minute banger another chance. Anyways, just wanted to get that off my chest. Seriously, I look forward to this in RAE every week. Been listening since I found it on the Disciples of Euchre website. The end. Well, well done, Eric. You, you, you really did that. That's fantastic. I hope it stays at the top for a while. Uh, <laughs> just outstanding work. So I'll say I, I personally don't try to convert anybody to listening to fish. I'm like, screw it. If you decide, <laughs> if you want to do it, fine. I'm here. I'll talk about it. But yeah, I'm not going out of my way. Ryan, on the other hand, I am not a proselytizer for fish. <laughs> I, I your <laughs> your Twitter timeline was like a travel log of all of the shows and places you were going. But that was just that was just for like three people who cared. That that was, it was ridiculous. Yeah, it <laughs> was, apparently you were I one really of the felt, three people. I felt like it was aimed at me just to be annoying. <laughs> that is look at this diner I'm in. Great. Uh, I I I will say that. Uh, a 12 minute banger for fish is not a banger. Like they don't become bangers until you get to at least 20 minutes uh-huh. like, to get to fish that, banger status. Yeah. What was it 2019? We had that 39 minute, 38 jam? minute yeah. Ruby waves. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it has rightly gained a place in, in the lore. Yes. It, it was very good. <laughs> Jeez. I'm not a proselytizer. Here's four minutes post show of fish <laughs> highlights. All right. <laughs> All right, I think we're good. Congratulations, you wrote a hook. Yeah, yep. no, we get it. So let's do something else. <laughs> That's all it is. Okay. Uh, so, anyways, uh, while you're there, while you're there, while you're in your podcast app, uh, hit the subscribe button. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, uh, and wherever else you get your podcasts. So, uh, guys, any last thoughts before we go? I mean, I, I just read that, so I'm I'm spent. Fish rules. <laughs> Just that statement doesn't work. Fish rules. No. There's a Z on there. It's fish yeah, rules. With exactly. A Z. It looks very metal. It's like when Weezer does metal. It is. Well, fish does metal. It's Karini. Okay. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week on Milwaukee Show.
Like, did you fuckers just bring me on here to read? 